1: Uh, thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show uh, highlighting issues around homelessness. Uh, my name's Bill and for the next hour my guests will be talking about alcoholism and the family disease. Uh, I'd like to welcome Trish and Cheryl to the studio this afternoon. Hi.
2: Hi everyone, I'm Trish and I'm an alcoholic. Hi everyone, I'm Cheryl and I'm an alcoholic.
1: Um, so as as members of um, AA, they're going to share their experience of drinking and how AA has helped them. Um, so usually we we start talking about what it was like growing up and how when you sort of became interested in alcohol or alcohol became an issue in your family. Um, so starting off with you, Cheryl. So what was what was life like early for you?
2: Um, my father was an alcoholic, and um, it was. Uh, Could say I suppose walking like walking on eggshells. um, Most of my childhood, and um, there was a lot of crushing and bashing going on. Also in the family home, Um, it was. I was very frightened of him. I remember that um, as a child.
1: Um, So what what sort of things would go on at home?
2: Oh, you know, he'd drink every night, and he'd. Come home from work um and he'd sit at the kitchen table and have his dinner and um you know you I'd be frightened sometimes to look up or look at him sideways or something and if um he'd drink, he'd keep on drinking, and some nights he'd um mum and him would have an argument, and we'd all be pushed out told to get out and pushed out the back door, and we'd all my brother and I were, you know, little and we'd go out into the garage and um stay there until we heard um a crash and mum would look in the back veranda window and she'd see him he'd fallen um he'd gone to sleep, he'd gone into a blackout and fallen asleep and gone on fallen onto the floor. So we'd then she'd then get my little brother, um, who was a he was very little as a child and um, little bag of bones he was and um, we'd hoist him up she'd hoist him up through the laundry window and he'd climb into the cement troughs and out into the floor and under the back door for us and and uh, and we'd all come in but then I'd freeze then because I was too frightened to walk past him and I always had this fear of him going to grab my ankle as I as I went past and Remember I used to be crying a lot as well because of the fear and actually, one night he did grab my ankle so um but um it well, anyway, I did get away from him, and Mum just used to bustle us both in the bedroom, and we used to sleep in the same room when we were little and um just get into bed and the next day he wouldn't know anything about it he'd um didn't realize it he'd put us out in the backyard and that's where we stayed until he fell asleep and and all this so yeah mm. that was life as a child growing up
1: yeah so what was life like at school
2: for you then um i was um i was a bit of a loner i was um i was a i was a fat kid one of those um I'm watching is just how i was and i'm still battling the bulge now with the age that i am but um so i didn't really at, Yeah, at school i never really had many friends i was a loner um yeah, have yeah, didn't just didn't didn't communicate that, like, but as a child, um, at school. No,
1: yeah. No. So, what about friends? Were your friends?
2: Um, I had a few friends. Um, just neighbor, just neighbors. That's all. Um, there was wasn't a close family. Um, my mum had a sister who was um a lot younger than her, so. I suppose I was my auntie. She was only actually she was actually four years older than me, and so um, it, it, we had a, a relationship growing up. She was um, always there. I used to talk to her, but about some things, and she always used to say, "Oh, you don't talk about things like that." And um, so, I, things was I used to keep things to myself, and yeah, that's how it used to be. But apart from birth, I used to be invited to some birthday parties. I suppose, but no, nothing. Nothing added. Not nothing like my grandsons nowadays. I can tell no. you. <laughs> Goodness gracious! <laughs> yeah. What so, a social life they yeah. have.
1: Um, so, how were you introduced to alcohol
2: yourself? Um, well, I always said I'd never drink because I didn't want to be like my father. Because I just assumed that, well, you know, if you drink, you just keep on drinking. I, you know, I just didn't want to drink like he did, and so I, I never really started drinking. Even at, I remember that even at my wedding, I'd, my father had put pink champagne on the tables for us for the, um, the toast and that. And I remember having a sip and I'm thinking, oh, my God, it tastes awful. But, you know, I sort of done the right thing, I suppose. And that was it. And, and I mean, I was married very, very young, but it didn't interest me. It probably, yeah, not until my 20s, I started um, drinking to be sociable and uh, we were invited to friends' places so friends i'd made at work who had um who were our age and had children my age and at uh, uh, same age as my kids and so yeah i started to buy wine bottles of wine and but that was only to be sociable um, it wasn't a daily thing let's put it that way no. yeah.
1: so did it have an effect on you did you notice the effect alcohol had
2: yeah it um I used to like the effect that it had it made me um made me happy it made me feel um, um, I, 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 that i I could talk to anybody and and I can communicate with anybody and yeah it made me made me happy and alive i suppose you could say yeah, yeah. Mm. so
1: did you did you have any chat did did, you, did it change the way you behaved?
2: Um, in the beginning it didn't because I really didn't drink. Uh, like if the bottle was, well, you know, I used to take one bottle and we'd share it with how many women there was. But I must admit as the time went on and I drank more and more um, and I consumed more and then I if I'd certainly drank a whole bottle to myself and went into the second bottle or the started on my casks, which were... Um, I used to like those cars because there was plenty there. So, um, it yes, it used to change me. I um, become sometimes I become very argumentative, um, aggressive, and um, I was a bit like Jekyll and Hyde, I suppose you could say. Um, used to snap, you know. Uh, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, so, how about you, Trish? What What was life like for you growing up?
0: Um, I grew up in a very small country town um, in central western Queensland and um, I'm adopted and I thought that was why I felt different um, as a child growing up um, and my mother was an alcoholic um, although that actually didn't take place until I was about 10 and um You know, I'm a child of incest and I'm also a woman, a young woman of rape and so that coupled with feeling as though I belonged to no one because I was adopted, um, I just felt different and um, I certainly didn't have uh, many friends come around our place because I never knew what my mother was going to be like. And um, I can always remember my dad. My dad never drank. Um, There were lots and lots of fights. And I also, um, as a child, I saw many things. um, Because my mother came from a large family and they all drank. And the men weren't very nice they didn't um treat their wives very nice and so you know I didn't know anything else and um I first had my first drink when I was 18 just after 18 and um at that stage I'd already had a child that I'd adopted out and um I didn't think anything of it. we That's what we did. You know, we, um, in a small country town, there's not a lot to do. And um, so we drank. And I used to go to balls and things like that in those days. I thought I was the life of the party. Alcohol didn't seem to be a problem. I never realised that it was a problem. I just never drank beer because I didn't want to be like my mother and um, and so I never drank beer and even through the 40 years of drinking I never drank beer but you know what, I ended up worse than her much worse than her hmm. so, um,
1: so what was life like in your late late teens then, as you started drinking, what sort of... Were your friends drinking as well, obviously? Um,
0: Yes, but also I sort of... um, I moved around a lot after I had the child. I mean, I went back home to my hometown and, look, it just got too complicated and I was never going to marry anyone from that hometown who would want to stay there anyway. Um... So, you know, and unfortunately I was pregnant when I sat for my year 12. Um, though I had spoken to a priest and I had organised my own um, business of where I was going and what I was doing and, um, and that's what I did. I'd got myself into trouble and I was going to get myself out of trouble. But, you know, eventually I did get married um. Yeah. Um. I've got a bit tongue now. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Well, what we might
0: give you a break then. Thank you,
1: Bill. <laughs> <laughs> we'll go, go back to you, Cheryl. So, um, I guess um, you, you, we got to the point I think where your your drinking was starting to become. Part of your lifestyle, yes. Um, so was,
2: yeah. yeah. So
1: how did how did it progress? Uh,
2: um. It. Oh well. It's when when I had you know when I started drinking like through the day or through the evening or something. I just wanted more and um, I got that way that <clears throat> excuse me. I got that way that I was um become I become a breakfast drinker, so I'd have um. You know the good old wheat bics or whatever the case may be, and there'd be a nice glass of Chardonnay sitting alongside of me and I knew I couldn't have any more than the one drink because I had to drive um to work and um I probably lived twenty half twenty minutes to half an hour from work, so I had to drive early in the morning and get to work and so um but then it got <coughs> that way that when I did um when I when I did get home in the afternoon, early afternoon I'd start drinking again and but I'd I'd have to be a bit careful because I when my husband got home from work I I didn't want him to think that um well I I didn't want him to look at me and think, Oh my God, you're drunk, you know, so I had to um sorta of try to hide it and I thought I was doing a a pretty good job too but um obviously I wasn't because um you know he'd always say something or he'd go to the fridge and pick up the cask and shake it and say, Oh, we've certainly given this a bit of a bashing, haven't we? You know, and <laughs> things, um, things like this. But um I used to get angry with that because he used to drink um you know, a, well he used to have a drink with me, drink for drink, sort of it was, you know, but he wasn't a, a wine drinker. He oh he was a red wine drinker and a beer drinker, but it's still it's still alcohol. But um it, it did go on and it did unfortunately um, become a problem, it become a problem for work, I was approached by, approached by management because um, I was caring for people um, and I used to drive from job to job and uh, so I was approached by management and um, I actually I used to tell them that I must have spilt something um, on mm. my uh, my shirt or something the night before when I did have a drink and obviously they could smell it on my clothes you know because I always had my chewies with me or whatever the case may be to sort of curb the old breath you know yeah Yeah. so
1: um what about your uh, I think by this stage you had a couple of daughters Uh, I did have two
2: grown children yes so
1: how did they what did they think of your drinking
2: they um they uh, they knew I had a they could see I had a problem, but I must admit I couldn't see I had I used to, I didn't couldn't see I had a problem. I just used to say, well, look, I like it. Um, I go to work. I um, I'm entitled to have a drink when I got home, and um, sometimes my job's stressful. I've got to you know I do the shopping. I do the cleaning i you know cook their meals and and all so i sort of justified that that was for my drinking that's what i used to say i'm allowed to do it because i do all these things and they do nothing sort of you know things like this like most kids but isn't that awful but yeah, yeah but um yeah so the girls and they used to try to approach me and um but in, after they, and you know they got much older and they started to drink themselves and they shifted out and they got married and and all and all this so um which is terrible to say now but um I, I when they weren't when nobody was there I was happy because I could drink as much as I damn well liked and um, because by this time it it really had me in in the alcohol really had me um, in that clutches and and i couldn't seem to escape from it you know I so never, were you drinking daily Was oh it? yes yeah. daily, seven day a week yeah. um yeah as i said brekkie lunch i had a cask of wine in my car um i took I used to take a bit of a break between um, my jobs and um hide up the lanes and and have a have a drink i had those metal you know those metal cups that we used to i used yeah, I love those. The, yeah. all the colors beautiful yeah. purple and blue yes. and green and anodized. i had the anodized that's the word i had them in the glove box of my car and so have a little drinky so yeah. i
1: was happy <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm,
1: I'm very happy okay now. we might leave you in that thank state you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thank you <laughs> go back to you trish um so early 20s then how's how's life treating you
0: Well I got married at 21 and um do you know I never I never questioned whether I drank too much or not I never actually questioned any of that not even until I booked myself into a rehab many many years later um so th- Through my first marriage, I mean, I just drank. I can't remember whether it was every day then or not. But when that broke up and um, a chain of events happened, I um, started to drink a lot more. And um, I was working full-time and I was working in hospitality and um, I'd work and, you know, until a certain time at um, and on the reception desk and then I'd party. Now, I always said that I was never a morning drinker. But, you know, sometimes I didn't go to bed till five o'clock yeah. <laughs> and I'd still be drinking from the night before. Yep. So, you know, that's, that's how I got around my morning drinking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and if I went out to lunch still not thinking it was a problem um, I wouldn't go out for lunch until like, unless I could go somewhere where they served alcohol in decent sized glasses, and um, I just would drink for the rest of the day until I passed out that night. And um, I always got someone else to drive. Um, I can remember saying that I never drank and drove um, when I first came into the fellowship. And my husband um, very quickly put me at ease and told me that I used to drink and drive. I never got caught. No. (laughs) And, um, you know, I was a high-functioning alcoholic. You know, I worked full-time. And I got married the second time. And, you know, in those days, um, dinner parties were a big thing. Um, We couldn't have children. And um, so we entertained all the time. And um, it was just the way things were. I still never thought I drank too much. It was when my attitude um, started to change because by the end of my drinking, I could have one drink and I could not guarantee... What I would be like, whether I would be happy, whether I would be sad, whether I'd be angry, whether I'd be glad. Um, I was a morbid drunk and I had a very bad mouth when I was drunk and I was full of opinions and I was um, extremely selfish. I didn't understand any of that until I came into these rooms. I was arrogant. Um, yeah, and look, you know, the only reason, I didn't know who I was. I just felt damaged goods and that was from my childhood. That's really what I felt and the drink made me forget that.
1: Mm. Okay, well listen, we might take a break. Uh, You're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, podcasts podcasts of our show are available on 3cr.org.au forward slash living free and also on iTunes Uh, if you've got a question or a comment about the show then you can give the station a call on 9419 8377 or send us an email at 3crlivingfree at gmail.com we're on Facebook and Twitter with the hashtag uh, at 3crlivingfree we do a Uh, usually do a community service announcement about now and this one's about Overdose Awareness Day which is on the 31st of August
2: International Overdose Awareness Day is held annually on the 31st of August It is a day to raise awareness of overdose reduce the stigma of drug-related death and acknowledge the grief felt by family and friends of those who have died With the ongoing stigmatisation and criminalisation of people who consume drugs in Australia, International Overdose Awareness Day is as important as ever. This year, 3CR will be broadcasting a special half-hour program at 10am on Friday the 31st of August. Join us for a panel discussion looking at current efforts to reduce the tragic loss of life from overdose in Australia. Experts will offer perspectives from the fields of research, Service delivery, and most importantly, peers in the community.
1: Uh, uh, I'm talking with um, Cheryl and Trish uh, about alcoholism and how Alcoholics Anonymous have helped them. Um, so Cheryl, um, you were talking about you know living a normal life, high functioning uh, alcoholic. Um, what sort of things happen in your life that sort of represent how far out of control things can get?
2: Um, well, one thing comes to mind is that I went away for the weekend with my, my husband and I went to Eildon, um, had friends who had a home in Eildon and, um, so we went up there on the, <clears throat> on the Saturday morning and, um, yes, since we got there, yes, the wine started rolling out and... And, um, I was well thoroughly enjoying myself, so we went for walks and things like this, and then in the um late afternoon, we took a barbecue down to the pondage and um where they had barbecues and everything, and red wine, white wine, and all this so um yeah things were things were going really good, and um we finished um what we had there, and then there was um there's a little pub there at Eildon. and so we went into the pub, well I remember walking in. Um, to the pub and um, having a wine and lots of sort of singing to the music and enjoying ourselves, well, myself anyway. <laughs> I presume everybody else was enjoying <laughs> themselves, but I know I was having a whale of the time. And, and I can honestly say I don't remember how much I drank. I don't remember leaving. Um, if I left with the other people, I don't know that but I what I do remember is I when I woke up the next morning and my husband was laying alongside of me in the bed and he had his arms under his head you know just laying there looking at the roof the, uh, the ceiling and and he just looked at me and I said um I remember I remember saying to him was I good last night and he sort of put his hand up and went mm, you know and mm, not bad and he said, well, what do you remember? And I said, I remember seeing blue and white check. Like what they have on the side of a divvy wagon. He goes, yep, yeah, that'd be about right. But he said it was a four-wheel drive one. And I said, what happened? And he said, you blacked out as we were walking across the park. And um, he said there was also an argument at the pub. Oh, OK. So um, I... The friends I was with, he's actually a retired police officer and um, he went around and seen the guy and he actually knew him Um, and um, so they got some help for me and come back and uh, he bought the four-wheel drive. God knows how many it took to pick me up because I'm certainly not a twiggy, let's put it that way. Um, anyway, so um, that's how bad my drinking was getting. and um, But we stayed for a little while, and um, that day, um, my friends weren't very happy with me. They were talking, but not very happy with me. So we just come on home, but I remember when we got home, yes, the cast came out again, and I started drinking um, straight away, and, uh, hmm, so...
1: Yeah, but as we were saying before, you are high functioning, so you had I, everything that looked like success.
2: I um I did. I had um I, you know I worked um five days a week and um and uh, we had two homes, two lovely homes. We had a beach home down at Rye, in the Peninsula. Um, we had you know as I said, two cars, and it was life was great. We had no bills to bills were paid because we had two wages coming in so I used to um yeah I used to see these people you know these um well alcoholics as I thought well they were to me you know on park benches and walking around in um in clothes that needed maybe to be laundered or something or I'd see them pull their bottle out of their pockets and drink and and all this business you know and I used to by this time, I was starting to question myself about what I, how my drinking had, be, what my drinking had become, what I, yeah, what I'd become, and I thought, no, I've got two homes, two cars, job, I'm not an alcoholic, you know, I'm fine, yeah, yeah. No. yeah.
1: as you as you do, that's, yes, that's tough, isn't I'm it? I'm fine, yeah.
2: nothing's <laughs> wrong with me.
1: <laughs> uh, so, what about you, Trish? Um, I think we left you where you, um, your marriage was. I think, breaking up.
0: Yeah, look, I... Um, the denial, and I didn't know anything about denial or anything like that until I came into the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. I um, I knew that I drank, and I knew that, um, you know, a couple of things happened. I'd also tried to commit suicide when I was drunk and um, still I didn't think it was the alcohol. I never thought, I never thought that I was hurting anyone else. You know, sure, if you had had my life and all the things that had happened to me, you would drink too. And um, so I never thought about it. And, you know, so for many years, you know, the dinner parties continued. I had trouble identifying when I came into the rooms of AA. Um, And I didn't even know about AA until, well, 25 years before I came in because my doctor sent me to um, a rehab. And... um, at that rehab, I left after three days because I had to share a room and it still wasn't the alcohol. I can't remember um, having any counselling or anything at that rehab. Mind you, I was probably still drying out after three days and, um, and for a period of time, I don't know if it was weeks, I don't know, um, I didn't have a drink. Uh, you know, as we all know, eventually I picked up a drink and still not thinking that it was the problem. And it wasn't until a number of years after that that my husband um, said to me, You're killing yourself. You're drinking too much. And I used to just pass it off. You know, I was working full-time and um, at that stage I had a business seven days a week and I had a bed and breakfast and we were doing up an old home and life was full and I drank. Um, I would never let anyone get any, um, close to me at all I can remember when I came into the fellowship and when I'd been in there a little while AA taught me how to hug again because nobody got that close to me because unfortunately for me the, al- the smell of the alcohol used to just come out of my pores and I can remember, you know, I wouldn't know what I would be like in the morning and then I'd look over the side of the bed, the alcoholic dawn, to see how many cans of Coke were there and then I would know or have an idea about how I would be. And, you know, this is very terrible to say and it was hard to admit when I came into the fellowship. But, you know, I felt so bad about myself I didn't think I was worth it I thought I was useless even though I had all of those things and everything looked fine on the outside inside I was dying and um, I would get up and I'd be in the shower scrubbing like mad to try and get the smell of the alcohol off me and then to make myself feel good I would have to try and think of somebody that I could phone so that I could have a go at them to make them feel bad so that I felt good. Mm. And, um, you know, that's 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 really sad. But I didn't... I Even at that stage, I didn't think there was anything wrong with my drinking, even though my husband was saying so. And, you know, friends started to notice and... Um, One particular woman said to me, you know, quite a few months before I came to rehab, oh, she said, Tricia, if I drank like you, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed for a week. Now, she only saw what I drank when I was there, not what I'd had before and what I had after. And my smart-aleck answer was, uh, I've had a lot of training at doing this, thinking it was smart. You know, and it was sad, it was really, really sad. And, you know, um, when I eventually um, went to a rehab, the only reason I went was because I, um, it was twelve o'clock on a Wednesday and I knew my husband would be home from work soon and if he came home and found me drunk again, I knew at that stage that he would leave and walk out the door because by that stage we were opposite ends of the kitchen shouting at one another all the time. And, you know, I'm still with that man today and um, we've been married nearly 38 years. And as I said to someone last night, you know, The more sober I get, the better he looks. (laughs) And, um, you know, and that's what AA has done for me. But it's, um, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself here, Bill. (laughs) (laughs) It's just flowing. So, um, you know, I never wanted to go to AA. Uh, Why would I want to go there? It was full of men. Um, So I went to women for sobriety. And, um, I used to come home and I'd say to my husband, I don't know how I could ever not drink there. I said, all I do is talk about drinking. And <laughs> they had given me, um, a leaflet, which I never opened. And all the many, many, many years later, 25, 30 years later, I realized it was the newcomer's pack. <laughs> and, um, you know, and I didn't know that until I came to AA and, um, You know, and I only came to AA because I went to a 12-step program and the only reason I went there, I needed somewhere to go. I didn't have any money but I had private health and I made a call and I'd made a call to the first rehab that I was in 25 years prior and they put me on to um, the rehab that I ended up going to and um, I was there within two hours. Very drunk. And my husband couldn't contact me for a fortnight. He had no idea why I'd done it. I couldn't tell him because I knew that he would know that I was drunk because I would slew my words. So he had to be told by a friend. And, you know, that's, that's not a very proud moment either. Um, but, you know, for me... The day that I walked into that rehab was, you know, my God had been doing for me what I couldn't do for myself all my life and I didn't know that, I didn't understand that, I didn't have a higher power. I believed in God but, you know, my God that I had at that stage was a punishing God because I used to bargain. If you get me out of this mess, I promise I'll do this. And I never, ever did. And, um, you know, it's (laughs) slowly, slowly, I thought that I had joined some crazy place that used this unusual lingo, yet I felt at home. And I knew and I felt as though I belonged because people spoke the way I felt.
1: Okay. Well, listen, we might take a break there. So I think, uh, Cheryl, we've sort of got off to the point where your daughters were concerned about your drinking. Um, So what was the thing that triggered you to address your drinking issues?
2: Um, It was one Saturday night my youngest daughter had come around. Um, I'd been drinking all day. Um, I got in my car in the morning and I sat down morning, went down and bought the herald Sun, the age and sort of things like this, and they were spread all over the place and uh, Again, my husband and i weren 't talking um, not because of my drinking, just because of um, anyway something else had happened and um, so um, so i'd come home with my papers and poured myself a glass of wine and off i went and uh so saturday night um i was told this i don't remember her coming around or anything i i don't know what time i blacked out but i did eventually and uh i remember her poking me on i remember somebody poking me on my right hand on my right shoulder and um and her father had informed she thought i was dead and uh, her father had informed her no i wasn't dead that i'd been drinking all day and um i'd gone into a a blackout. So um that's uh that's all I remember and I woke up the next morning and um I was still not talking to my husband and uh it was um I got a couple of phone calls saying that my daughters, um when they'd finished work that day, um, that they wanted to come round and see me and um they were, had concerns for me and um they needed to speak speak to me about something and I knew straight away what it was. Um Actually, I didn't have a drink on that Sunday, which was quite unusual. But I remember, you know, a few months, you know, leading up to this day, that I'd, I'd want, I'd got to the stage where I wanted to stop drinking. But the more I thought about stop stopping drinking, the more I drank. If that makes sense, I, I remember sitting down one day with a pad and a biro at the kitchen table with a glass of wine in front of me and I was writing down all these things, why I was drinking um, and trying to work out how to stop drinking on, pen, on, on paper mm. but um, yeah so that's and actually that was the last time I'd had a drink on Mm. that saturday night or Mm. saturday i should say yeah Yeah.
1: so how did what happened then well they
2: come around on the sunday night uh, late yes late sunday um you know half past six or something they come around and they were um they told me they were very concerned for my health um what they could see that i was drinking more i was constantly under the influence of alcohol um and um, and and they were worried about me. And they both said that they loved me very much. Um, I was a loving mother, a caring mother. Um, but I'd become I'd become like Jekyll and Hyde, you could say. And um, and I they said, did I want to stop drinking? Do I need help? And I said, yes, I do want to stop, but I don't know how. And I'm very very fearful of stopping. Um, the thought of not having a drink uh, frightened me. I didn't know how to live without a glass of wine in my hand. Let's put it that way. And um, but they said that they would be there for me, um, make arrangements to go to the doctors and things like this. So and this is what we done. And I thank God every day that I put it down on. I finished on that Saturday night. Um, whatever time, I don't know, but and I haven't picked up a drink since. So, mm. yeah.
1: so how did you manage that?
2: Um, I went to I come to the doctor with me, a family doctor who I'd been going to for over 30 years. Um, he said he had noticed some differences in my, um, you could say, my six-monthly blood tests that I used to have because one of them was um, a liver function test. But he never mentioned anything to me because when I used to go over there, I certainly wasn't um, under the influence of alcohol or anything. Else. Mm. Um, I had had a drink, of course, but I certainly wasn't drunk. But he um, put me onto Antibus and... Um, and he told me to take a half a tablet every day at the time that I um, was thinking about having a drink. And I said, well, I'm thinking about having a drink at 8 o'clock in the morning when I'm having my wake big sort of, yeah. you know. He said, if that's what it is, you take your half a tablet then. But he said, see if you could spread it out, let it go for a little bit longer, which I did. And um, so I took these um, interviews for nearly three months and I got to the stage at the end of the three months said. My husband sometimes said to me, "Be you're taking your tablet, and I went, oh, no, I forgot. So um, if it was me accepting that I'd stopped drinking or if it was still the tablet working, I don't know, but um, I, didn't take, I didn't have to take those tablets for the whole three months. I hadn't picked up Let's put it that way. Mm. Yeah.
1: So, how yeah. long did you not drink before you got to AA?
2: Um, so then um, it was suggested to me about going to AA, and um, and I was certainly it, I I was dead set against it. I just didn't want to go and and be with all these drunk people, and Drunks, that's vir- yeah. drunk people, and that's virtually what they they were you know alcoholics, and and uh, and I you know and I did say to my door at one stage. How can I get up there and tell them and share my story like they say you've got to do and tell them all these things that I've done and said and how much I used to drink? And she used to say to me, but mum, they've done the same thing as you. No, no, I can't do it. No, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. And so I didn't. But it was probably about, i oh, no, I was sober for 22 months. And um, but a few weeks before that, I was given the 12 by 12 to read and um the little blue book which is a part um, some stories out of the big book and i was given them and i was told very sternly read these books and see if um if you can relate and um so i did and that week i was actually going to sydney for a week and um for just a break and um So I went with my husband and um, I spent the whole time, you could say, travelling around Sydney with my two little books and reading them and my husband spent his time in the pub, but that was okay. I was happy to be alcohol-free as I... Yes, well, I was, not as I thought, but I was. Um, My mind wasn't very good, but I wasn't consuming the alcohol and um, these books gave me so much, um, what's the word, freedom... um, I was optimistic about my life. Um, I don't know, it Just they just made me feel so happy. So when I did eventually come home, I said to this person, I rang, them, I rang her up and I said, when are you going to your next meeting? And she said, tomorrow night, I'm going to Rosanna Steps. And I said, what's Rosanna Steps? She said, don't worry, just be ready. Put your bum on the, car, on the seat and we'll go. And that's what I'd done. And I must say, I still go to Rosanna Steps right now. Right (laughs) on Sunday night, (laughs) anyway. Yeah. So okay.
1: Um, So what? What has AA done for you?
2: AA's giving me, probably giving me my life back. Um, I have had the courage to change my life in a lot of ways. I did leave my marriage. Um, I've been on my own now for seven years, just gone. Um, I've uh, I've got freedom, um, I've got peace, um, I've got a loving higher power in my life, I've made a lot of friends um, in AA, um, I'm not, um, oh, I'm sort of stuck for words. Um, yes, it's given me my life back, I suppose you could say. Okay, yes. thank, yeah.
1: you. Um, thank you. So what about you, Trish? What's, what's AA done for you? that you didn't really realise was, you know, possible?
0: What I am today. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly what I am today. Um, I'm not frightened. Um, I don't... I... um, As I was sharing over lunch, I... um, You know, what grabbed me when I first came into the fellowship because I had to do 90 meetings in 90 days when I left the rehab. And um, was page 58 of the big book, How It Works. And it says, Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Now, the only reason I could remember that page was because I was 58 at the time. And that... And another saying, the sunlight of the spirit. And I was told to get a higher power. I didn't know what any of that meant when I had a temporary sponsor. I did everything that they told me I had to do from the rehab. I ticked it all off. And um, I did meetings every day. And slowly, 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 you know, I, knew, I didn't think that I was that sick. I thought everybody in the rooms was sicker than me. And talk about ego. And, oh, you know, if someone had said to me 12 and a half years ago, Trish, if you stop drinking and go to AA and live the steps in your everyday life, your life will be so different. I never realised until I was 58 and, you know, coming into the fellowship, I never, ever realised what alcohol did to me. Mm. And, you know, I do call myself a miracle because I am a miracle and um, it's given me... Me. It's given me the person that my God wants me to be. And I'm forever grateful for that. And, you know, what I have been given was freely given to me by a sponsor. And it's the most precious gift that I've ever been given. And today I know that I need to pass that on as well And, you know, all I am given on a daily basis is a 24-hour daily reprieve, and that is contingent on my spiritual condition. And, you know, so AA, I never thought it would be possible for me to go a day without a drink. But the people in the fellowship, were there. They loved me back to life. And, you know, we support one another. It's... Oh, I can't tell you the warmth that I get when I walk into the rooms of the fellowship. I just can't tell you. Because... And the thing... I've got my hands going now. <laughs> the thing that, it, that gives me another thing is to see the light come back into the people's eyes as they get sober.
1: Mm.
0: And that is a blessing.
1: Yeah, it is. Okay, well, listen, um, if if you'd like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, then you can phone them on 1300 222, 222 or you can go online at aa.org.au. I'm afraid that's about all we've got time for today. Um, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week. And um, I'd like to thank Cheryl and... Cheryl and Trish for coming into the studio this afternoon and sharing their Alcoholics Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you both.
2: Thank you, Bill. Thanks Thanks for having us.
1: I hope you'll be able to join us next week when we'll be talking more about recovering from drug addiction and we'll be joined by some members of Narcotics Anonymous.